Hi. Hello, Sarah. <laughs> Feels like we haven't been alone together in a long time. It must. It probably doesn't feel that way to the people who are listening, but it feels that way for me. To us, yeah. No, we've been doing so many um, conversations with really cool people. I know. It's a pretty great feeling, though. Anyway, it's nice to see you with your cat and your, you know, hair up. I know my hair's up. I've been at school and I had to rush home. The continuing saga of my refrigerator's ice maker continues. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it is it <laughs> everyone's so excited about this? This is the best. Everyone's banter. so excited. Look, <laughs> the ice balls did not have not there. That's the ice ball maker is still broken. Have you ever made an ice ball? Like one at the very beginning and then it stopped working uh, and it a ball. Yeah, a ball. <laughs> we had a ball. Three balls at a time is how it works. Anyway. <laughs> we had three balls. He has to replace the whole part. He has to replace the other thing. But now, meanwhile, the regular ice maker works. This is like a ridiculous fridge that has two ice makers. One works, one does not. Because you need ice balls for your drinks, your copious amounts of drinks. Sure. Cocktail, cocktail level ice making. You know what's funny is I'm not a big, is it, what's Johnny Walker? Is that scotch, bourbon, whiskey? Yeah, yeah, scotch. You guys, everybody who knows this, we in my home have- a bottle of Johnny Walker Blue, which is the fanciest Johnny oh, Walker. Oh, that's the good kind. I've heard the of The very good kind. Someone gave it to us as a gift. And apparently this would be a very nice thing to drink over an ice ball. <laughs> right? Sure. <laughs> I mean, for literal, like, centuries, people have been sure. drinking scotch not over ice balls. <laughs> but listen, we live in a better time now. It's much more civilized to drink. It's much more civilized. With ice balls. Sure. Hey, listen, I don't think I've said this on the podcast because I don't want to curse us, but we are like in the actual like deep process of buying a home, our first home, which to all of you out there who own homes, I mean, God bless you because I don't understand why anybody would do this. And you all lie, too. You say, like, oh, it's going to oh, be so sure. great. It's going to be the best decision you've ever made. And it feels like your entire life, is, the world is just melting around you. And you're just, like, that gif of, like, the dog in flames. Like, this Yes, is fine. right. <laughs> this is fine. Let me sign some more paperwork. Yeah, Adriana Herrera said to me, like, right when we started this, literal months ago, uh, she was like, um, the worst part is the underwriting of the mortgage where some at some point somebody's going to call you and say, this all looks great. We just need four of your mother's mammogram results from the 1980s. That's <laughs> how like, it feels. And you're going to yes. run off and find them. Anyway, why was I saying this? Oh, because uh, we're buying this house and I'm certain that the second we move in, all of the appliances in the kitchen, which are all like aging you can tell are gonna kaput and so i have been watching your ice ball drama just at first i was very jealous of that that refrigerator and its ice balls and now i'm like no this is a nightmare we're not getting anything that water plugs into (laughs) i'll tell you what i saw a romance novel last week i was looking on like net galley and edelweiss so this is like the upcoming books and there was one where two people were like leaning against a refrigerator and i was like that's not a romance no that is a that's a nightmare machine that's a horror i'm not gonna read a book with a fridge on the cover 
I recoiled. Only if like a baby flew out of it could I be more horrified. <laughs> yeah. Well, also I'm like I have a whole new view on like the Tessa Bailey like fixer up. Um, oh, no kind of books, the like home home renovation no. books. I'm also watching Lenora Bell like fully renovate a beautiful building in Alaska with her very, very handy husband. And no. I'm just going nightmare. This all just gives me hives. Like, you actually hives. are. You can't see Sarah's I'm like, like scratching. I feel, I'm her like neck. itchy. Um, but anyway, so that all said, in order to um calm ourselves <laughs> without drinking the Johnny Walker blue um, just until we fall down because we also have an eight-year-old which we mistakes were made <laughs> across the board it's holidays I have a book too we have an eight-year-old it's fine so I can't drink heavily so we've been watching um, we've been watching like rom-coms on the television Nice. So first we watched when we were um we were with my sister for a little while during Thanksgiving and we watched um Allie Carter's the, oh, the movie yeah, a Castle Carter for Christmas. Wrote, a Castle for Christmas, which is, you know, if really cute. If that sounds like the kind of movie you would like, it definitely you would like is it. the kind of movie you would like. Agree. And then we watched this movie that we sort of stumbled upon with Camille Nanjiani and um, Issa Rae, and it's called The Lovebirds. Have you heard of this? No. I like the title, though. It's incredibly cute. It begins with these um, two people kind of falling in love. They're on their, it's like the morning after their first date. They've clearly like been together and they're about to kind of go their separate ways. And then they like invite each other to breakfast and it's cute. And then suddenly they're kissing and then boom, it's four years later. They're together. They live in the same house and they're like incredibly funny together. But clearly they're like romances like slowed down and so they're on their way to this is all this is like the pacing of this is so great and they're on their way to like a dinner party that their friends are throwing and they're driving and um they uh break up while they're in the car oh. and it's like this like kind of horrible moment that's like very authentic and that it it's like they sort of like accidentally break up but it's like real and then they hit a bicyclist and then instantly like they stop and then a police officer comes and commandeers their car, chases down the bicyclist and then runs over the bicyclist like four times. And what? then they're like on the lamb because like for romance reasons, they are like they're believe like they're stuck together. They like can't tell the truth about what happened. So they're like on the lamb trying to figure out like what actually happened. And it is really fun. You guys should watch it. It's incredibly fun. And like these are two beautiful people who, you know. I like I I yes, I like are that. Are in a, lot. a rom it's like, like it really lot. is like a it's a romance novel. It's great. So they're like, it's a one night, you know, there's like a I think it lasts one night. Oh, that's perfect. I love that. And so it's great because it's like they're on the run and it's great. And then I'm excited. The day after Watch we it. watched that, I discovered that Eric had never seen 10 Things I Hate About You. What? I know, which come on now. Uh, how is that even? So possible, we watched huh? that and that was a delight. Remain that Yeah, you know, it delight. remains. It was delightful. a delight when I, I was young. And actually, like, 
Leaving aside the level of, like, insultingness about romance novelists, which is a little bit in there, the rest of it is, like, very cool and holds up to scrutiny from 2021. I watched it with some friends this past summer, like, at the end of the summer, and was sort of – I was very pleasantly surprised at how well it held up. I Well, I watched A a Castle for Christmas because – I, I mean, I just was like, Brooke Shields and Carrie Elways, I got to watch this, right? And written by an actual romance novelist. Hello. And, like, clearly we're the target audience for any— We're I mean, the I'm, target audience I'm for this. sad to say. <laughs> we're the I'm target audience. I'm not sad audience. to say at all. I am the target audience, and it totally worked for me. And then Mr. Reed's Romance, and I have also been watching— We enjoy these Disney Plus, like, Marvel shows. So we started watching Hawkeye. Oh, fun. Yeah. How was that? You know, here's the thing. I don't know a lot about this Marvel universe. I mean, I've watched the movies and I know, you know, that I can I can fake my way through a cocktail party on them. But people don't seem to like this Hawkeye person. Okay. The guy who plays Hawkeye, I think, is a real jerk. This show. In real life? Yeah, I think so. Jeremy something. Jeremy Renner? Something like that. Yeah. Look at me. See, I told you I could fake my way through. I'm a simple woman, everybody. And it's very entertaining to me. I'm enjoying it quite a lot. But I've also read the comics, so maybe that's why. Oh, really? Yes. They're great. Look at you. I didn't know that you'd read all the comics. I do a superhero unit with my students. And some years afterwards, we would do, like, comic reading. But now we actually read the years. There's a bunch of DC. They're called DC Icons. Mm. There are a bunch of novelizations, but they're written by, like, powerhouses. So there's Wonder Woman Warbringer by Lee Bardugo. There is Catwoman Soul Stealer by Sarah J. Moss. There is, I mean, so these, like, books are novelizations of, like, and they're written by amazing characters. We also, one of the, so it's a literature circle the kids get to choose. There's Miles Morales by Jason Reynolds, who we both have a crush on. Right, we love him. Now we have skipped from reading actual comics to reading novels of comics it's complicated we still read lots of comics it's fun i like it oh yeah yeah me too so there it is we did it banter (laughs) that's its official name now i think i even put that i used to put like intro outro now i think i just put b-a-n-t-r um by the way for those of you i also know jen doesn't it's there's a lot of stuff because jen doesn't jen doesn't watch a lot of movies or or watch a lot of tv so i'm really like on my own out here in banter land today but for those of you who like Great British Bake Off, and I know many of you must because it's fucking great and I love it. Um, if you – I have seen – I saw online a request for the Bake Off producers to do a special holiday um, episode with the cast of Ted Lasso. And I think that is great because they should obviously make those biscuits. Biscuits with the oh, boss. Oh, of course they should. I mean, I don't understand. That feels like a logical. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm not ever going to watch a show about baking. I mean, listen, I, mean, I don't care who's in it. Fair, uh, but these people are very attractive, and you love their. I don't so. give a shit, Sarah. They're baking. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> that's all fine. I've had to Google that before. People put like something about G. You had to Google Bake Off. Like, what is it? People G-B-B-O. put GBB, and people are talking about it one day on Twitter, and I was like, "What that's is me. that?" Yeah, and it's, I had to Google it's it. Bake Off. Yeah, I know. and then well, I was like, "Oh, there's a the one of the hosts dressed up as Santa this year, and I liked it. I'm not gonna lie. I think it's wonderful. I mean, I, I will say you. this: I liked it, and I'm going through. Okay, here's a romance novel thing. I I think I'm going through this thing, Jen. Tell me these Santa romances. I'm like into them. 
Why is it so kinky? Adriana has one coming out. Maybe it'll be out by the time this okay, happens. Okay, listen, I'm really pissed because it sounds like you have it and I did not get it. So, like, what the hell, Adriana? I edited it. I did an edit. Fine, but still. Listen, it's called The Toy King, and that's all you need to know about that. <sighs> listen, I think we talked about Her Night with Santa last year because oh, yeah. I thought Her Night with Santa last year was great. And I think it might be the, like, beginning of my Santa kink because mm. – I ended up, I was reading, I think I told this story last year, but it's funny, so I'll tell it again. My daughter came in and was like, "Um, Mom, what are you reading? And I was like, oh, a romance novel. And I was reading this, like, absolutely filthy erotic short by my friend, Adriana Herrera, who, um, that was about, like, a a woman, Santa, and, like, the daughter of one of the three kings, (laughs) Right? And, like, whatever. And she has a bag of toys. And it's bonkers. And and she was like, oh, well, what's it about? And I was like, "Mm." And I was like, well, interestingly, it's about um, Santa, a woman, a woman who is Santa. And she looked at me and she was like, really? And, you know, nobody knows for sure what the deal is with Santa. Um, And this woman thinks, this writer thinks that – It's just Santa is a job that gets passed down from, like, one generation to the next. And so, like, Santa had a daughter at some point, and now that daughter is Santa. And, of course, V was like, this is amazing. I want there to be a girl Santa. And and so I told her this, like, I wrote this, like, whole mythology for her. I wove this story of Adriana's mythology. And she, like, toddled off. (laughs) <laughs> Without knowing that I was really re- reading this, like, Santa erotica. bananas erotica about Santa. It's complicated. Anyway, and then, oh, my God. Then Ellie Mae McGregor wrote The Naughty List this year, which is about Santa. And then Marie Lipscomb is writing as a, another name. And I'm sorry that I, I will put it in show notes because I, I don't know it off the top of my head. But... <laughs> That title, Sarah, I can't even say it out loud. It's too much. Oh, my God. I'm going to say it because I'm talking about this and I want everybody out there, like, if you, too, have a Santa kink, like, and you're trying to figure it out and trying to come to terms with it, I get you. I see you. You, We are, you, I'm with you. And the title is Santa Claus is going to town on me. (laughs) And I can't. Anyway, the point is I've read all of these books yes. this year. Sure. And like I'm confused. And I have a little bit of cognitive dissonance about it. But then last night we were decorating the Christmas tree and listening to Christmas music music and I saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus came on. And like I get that it's the funny thing is that it like it's actually dad sure. dressed up as Santa. But like clearly there's some Santa kink. In the world, just it exists. Uh, obviously, this. I is mean, the I case. haven't really done the Google search, and I probably won't. But the, I mean, yeah, of course. Anyway, look, the holidays are rough, is what I'm saying, and this is what it takes to get you through them. I see you, and I support you. Yeah, I think there's more. I think there's a lot more. There's one I can't find right now, but you know, there's. We all deserve. Yeah. Also, things. if you like, happen to know of something that I should put on my list. Go ahead and let us just, know. you know, tweet us, Instagram us, shoot me an email. <laughs> you can find me. They know where we are. We'll we'll put it, we'll make a little list. 
put a little list together. Oh, my gosh. Well, there you go. That's more banter maybe than Eric Cuddit was was expecting. <laughs> you know what? We got to be us. And it's December. We're back. We're back. It's good. It's Baby, good. we're back. All right. All right. So we should say welcome to Faded Mates. Yes. <laughs> I'm Sarah McLean. I read romance novels and I write them. And I am Jennifer Prokop, a romance reader and editor. <laughs> it's fine. Okay, this week we are reading Caress by Ice by Nalini Singh. This is book number three in the Psy Changeling series, which is many books long and actually even now has, I think, a couple of like sub series, like series that have sort of spun off from this. So, sure. and this is, uh, this is a beloved series. Um, I'm going to talk later. I have, um, a cu- there are a couple of like Psy Changelings resources. Maybe I'll just say it right now. On Smexy Books, um, Melinda and Melanie have a Psy Changelings read-along that they do. They write about it. They write about each book. And I think they're up to, I think they've definitely gotten to Hawkins Sienna's book, whatever that one is, which is like maybe 10. So they're pretty far into it. And that, I think if you're like a reader, you want to just like read what people have to say about it, that's a really good one. And then on YouTube, there is the Changeling Cast. And that is by a book blogger, um, Books Like Whoa is her username. And um, she does a YouTube. She actually had Nalini on, came on one time, and like she interviewed her. And then she has had various people on. And I was on for Hawk and Sienna's book, which again, I don't know the names of because that's how I am. First, first season Faded Maters, we'll know. So I just want to start there by saying, like, if you are like, wow, I love this book and who's doing read-alongs, those are, like, my two favorite side changeling read-alongs. One that is a video and one that is in in words. Yeah. So for those of you who have never read a side changeling book, we kind of said when we walked into it, ah, you don't have to read anything before this. But <laughs> I might have been wrong. It's sorry, everybody. It's fine. It was tricky. The, yeah. I mean, I have read other side changeling books and even I was like um it's been a while and what is exactly going on here so Jen yes why don't you give everyone kind of the like lay of the land of what happened where we are in the world what the world looks like and then we'll get into caressed by ice I think part of the reason I was like it's fine everybody is because the very first side changeling book I ever read was called Heart of Obsidian and I read it because we were do it is famously when people ask for a, a morality chain book it is almost always when people say is perfect and I was like okay I have no fear am I going to start in book 12 of this like long series sure yeah so I was kind of like if I can start at book 10 or 12 everybody can start at book 3 so I'm sorry if I steered you wrong but I'm fearless like that. So let me talk a little bit about the series, and then we're going to talk about this book. So in this world, um, the first book was called Slave to Sensation, and I meant to look up when it was published, but of course I didn't. Um, I have a feeling this was around the time of Mortals After Dark, right? Like the great, Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes, it was in fact 2006. 
the great paranormal, like, Big Bang that was 2006. So, um, in her world, in the world of this book, there are essentially, like, three races of people. There's humans who don't come into play, actually, for several books, really. Boring. Yeah, boring. The Psy, and they are essentially, like, able to control their minds. They are cold, emotionless. They all exist as sort of like a hive mind on something called, like, the Psynet. They're they're all connected to each other. Yeah, it's like the they, like, can sense each other's thoughts and, like, find each other quickly through a World Wide Web brain thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) This is going to be real fun. the internet, but in your brain. (laughs) But in your brain. (laughs) This is going to be, we're really going to be showing our entire, the way we read when we talk about this. Because I'll be like, details, blah, blah, blah. You have to understand I don't care about details or world building at all. So, (laughs) sorry. It's true, though. When do they kiss? <laughs> that is pretty much all I'm in it for. Now, the other thing, though, about the Psy is part of the reason they are so cold and emotionless is 50 years earlier, they all essentially went through a protocol called silence where they even learned even further to, like, shut it all down, right? So this is just, like, the way they react. They don't really have sex. They Like, they do if they have to procreate, but, like, they're just not really but into emotions. tubes and stuff, so it doesn't matter. The All the activities in their brain. Okay, that's the good stuff. Then you have the changelings, and they are essentially shifters. So there, and there's different kinds of shifters. Like there's all, you know, there's wolves, there wolves, sorry. <clears throat> Kelly's going to know why I paused it. There's wolves. There's, um, <laughs> Kelly's like, do you ever notice that you don't say wolf, you say woof? And I was like, what? And then I was like, oh, I totally say werewolf. Fine. Werewolf. <laughs> I think it's okay. I think it's charming. I'm going to keep doing it. I think it's delightful. You're okay. Like so <laughs> I am. I'm like the space noodle, whatever. Okay. Um, there's wolves, there's leopards, there's deer, there's like, there's rats, like there's all kinds of, um, yeah, um, yeah right. That they can essentially can be shift back and forth between being, you know, their animal self and their more human-like bodies or whatever. Okay. And they all live in, like, pods. I mean, not, like, physical pods, but they live in, like... I was like, like, the Matrix? No. Like... like, No, they live in, like, um... Like, communities. Yeah, yeah. Like, they they all have packs. They have packs. So, in book number one and book number two... We a book number one. So, slave to sensation is about essentially the head of the um, leopard pack falling in love with a sigh. Mm-hmm. Book number two is also a sigh woman who falls in love with a changeling. So, book number three, though, I, one of the reasons I like it is because I, of course, like a cold, emotionless man broken by love. That's and so, one. and that's this one, right? Because Judd is the sigh and Brenna is the changeling. And so, that, so I also felt like, um, one of the things that's really interesting, and if you listen to season one of IED, we talked a lot about how, like, you know, not all of these series, like, turned into 20 books. Right. You could really see the book at which 
the author kind of blew open the doors and was like, okay, this is what I'm doing now. Yeah, and knew what knew that there was a possibility of more to come. Yes, and I, for me, I think the reason I like this book is it's so it's both of those things. It's like this is the one where you're really like, okay, this is the world, and it's really there's a lot going on, and you're getting all this external stuff happening. But also, like I said, I like a cold, emotionless man who like breaks furniture because he can't have you. Breaks furniture with his mind. I'm going to just rip this room to shreds because I can't because have he's you. so afraid he might hurt you if he doesn't. If he doesn't yeah. hurt the furniture, he <sighs> might hurt you. <laughs> God. I mean, listen, put it in my veins. So I'm a garbage human and was like, this is. So it's. And I think despite maybe miscalling it. I do think it's an early one. No, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, like, it's helpful to know, like, what right. we're doing here. Yes. Because it's not quite, what Nalini has done, and I guess we're we're starting, but what, what Nalini has done here is really built a world of characters who are paranormal and don't, she's, while we all kind of understand shifters, the reality is that not, like, when when Cressley builds IAD, and I don't want to spend the entire podcast like comparing the two because I don't think that's interesting. But what I will say from the start is almost all paranormal series that you can think of have like known creatures, right? Like yes. vampires, werewolves, you know, witches, witches, whatever. Whatever. But Nalini is like, here's here are these creatures. Like, here are the Psy. This is yes. what, like, she kind of world builds from the ground. The the beings are world built, too. Yes. It's not just like, oh, I get it. That's a vampire. He's going to ultimately need to feed. Right. There is more world building in this book. Like, we had our fantasy episode with Zoraida. And we did not yes. really talk. We did not really talk too much about this series. Um, it is really interesting to me because it it really to me is singular in that it's it's following the romance convention of a different couple in every book. Yes, but it is for sure built on more of a fantasy platform than a paranormal platform. By which yes. I mean. I mean, like, and this is the last time I'll compare it to IED. Like, in IED, I think literally on, like, book 15 or 16, I was like, when's the accession going to start? Like, right? Like, there's really zero. Well, we had a whole thing where I was like, no, it started. Like, it's and happening. I was like, and I was like, has it, though? Nobody cares. Right? Nobody cares. <laughs> but that is absolutely. In Side Changelings, the advancement of the world behind the couple yeah. is ongoing. And you can really see big things happening and happening book by book leading up to events later. Right. So this is— She's really more framing, expansive. like— Big bads. There are little big yes. bads. There are little bads and big bads here. Every book feels a little bit like um, you're watching. It's like Buffy, right? Where you yes. know you would watch every every episode was in its in a sense of procedural because there was like one bad guy, but then like the overarching series has you know these kind of bigger structural bads. Yes, exactly. Um, which I think is interesting and I think goes back to what we talked – I'm so glad you brought up – I have two things I want to say. I'm so glad you brought up that 
Zoraida episode on fantasy because I had the same exact thought I was as I was reading. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, during that conversation, we talked about the fact that there was this kind of speculative fiction as the big umbrella, and then fantasy was really all about world building. Um, you know, whether no matter where you were, like if you were in high fantasy or in contemporary mm-hmm. fantasy or in um, you know, urban fantasy, all the different versions of fantasy that you can come to. And then we kind of touched on the fact that paranormal is fantasy. Like it is, but it lives yes. separate from fantasy because romance, patriarchy, all the things that come with romance, et cetera. The kind of de- the demeaning and the diminishing of the genre from the outside world makes paranormal, like sets paranormal apart from fantasy. But in this case... It's so there's so much world building. Like Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There are so many moments where like Brenna and Judd are just like nowhere. Off, right. <laughs> off stage. Like there's the, lots going on. Those bigger through lines have to like drive through that plot. So mm-hmm. I think in that sense, like if you are a person who has really been like looking for that, then I and you haven't read Side Changelings, like this is a series you will love, right? Yeah. I saw somebody yesterday on Twitter asking for quote fantasy that fucks. And I was like, Yeah, this is it. This is your book. These are your this, these are your books. Welcome yeah. to Nalini Singh. Absolutely. So I think it, you know that to me is you know, a big part of the appeal, I think, is, you know, f- people who love fantasy really are going to get what they want from reading Psy Changelings, right? It is going to be a deeply satisfying, I think, you know, experience and read. And it is also that, like, glory, like, Nalini Singh is a, a machine. She puts out a couple of books a year, and mm-hmm. they aren't all in this world, but, you know, she, there's... No, she this also whole, writes, like, rock star romances and celebrity and romances. And the archangel and romances. And, like, yeah, and, yeah. and all sorts of stuff. She's got it all. And so, you know, this series is 15 or 16 books, but then she, I think it's pretty smart, like... My understanding is, like, there's a book called Silver Silence that's pretty recent, and that sort of was, like, a new on-ramp. Because, as you also know, once you get real deep into these series, it's like you're like, am I going to go back and start with Slave to Sensation? And you obviously, yes, you should. But, you know, this is a really satisfying series for a lot of people that really does the work of romance and fantasy and does them both very well. Yeah. I have not gone very far into this series, and so I'm really curious and would love to hear thoughts on this, and I'm going to go check out the two links that you post, mm-hmm. because um, one of the things that we did in the first season of Fate of Mates was whenever we felt that we were reading a book that wasn't a proper on-ramp for the series, we would sort of flag it for everyone, like, you can start right. here. Right. And... um you know, and we were always particularly we always felt that it was like when there was a human main character. Yeah. To like kind that's... of guide you into the world. But I would be really interested um to hear from other from the people who know the series well, like where are the main where are the Or the on ramps, yeah. So um I will admit I I read the first five or six um, and then I actually skipped a couple. <laughs> like, I was like, man, these aren't super interesting to me. Or, you know, the other good thing is because so many characters are introduced 
many books before they get their book. You can kind of like, yeah, I'm not really into this person or whatever. And then I was really reading essentially to get up to Hawk and Sienna, which was Kiss of Snow book 12. Like I was like, mm-hmm. I can tell that these two, and even in this book, you're starting to see the seeds oh, of that. it's laid out. Oh, yeah. I and mean, I the, the was two like, of them are going to be a thing. And I was like, how absolutely satisfying this is to me to not have to wait around for it. I could just. Perfect. So jump right forward. Yeah. And um, so, anyway, I guess we could talk about. So, that I think is an wait, overview so, yeah. of the whole series. Yeah. So, let's talk about the book itself. Yes. So, um, okay. So, cur- let's do you like, a to- quick, like a little one. Yeah, yeah you're so better at that, that than I am. Okay, so Caressed by Ice is this book. It's book number three. And what we have is Judd Lauren is a Psy, but he and his family abandon the Psy network when essentially if you break silence, the way they deal with that is they kill you. And Judd's sister essentially broke silence. And Meaning this if is you seen, let yourself like feel feelings. Feel feelings. And it's seen almost as like toxic, like it's gonna leech out and destroy any of the people next to you. And she had had a child, she had a, they had another brother. And so it was like the, the three kids, her, the brother and the two brothers were gonna essentially have to all get reprogrammed, but that basically means killed. And so they, instead of agreeing to being reprogrammed, they escape. And they go to the wolf pack, and they essentially say, like, essentially Judd's like, I think that this wolf pack will kill us, the grownups, but agree to take the children. And instead, all of them are allowed to stay. And this is now a couple years later, and Judd is sort of, he was an arrow which is essentially like the highest rank super soldier of the Psy. And he is um, essentially now it's like this moment of crisis where he can no longer be outside of the the wolf pack. He has to find a way to either like leave it or be a part of it. But because essentially he and the other, the kids and his brother have made their own like little net he can't go too far because he's a really integral part of essentially keeping the kids alive. Like, Psy need that, like, brain the net. whatever. The brain net. The world wide web in their brain. <laughs> they need it to survive. Otherwise, like, they need that feedback. So it's sort of this weird thing. And then Brenna had was in book one, was kidnapped by essentially Terrible. a psychopath, Psy, who tortured her. And big trigger warnings on a lot of that, big- yeah. Big content warning here that Brenna has been uh, tortured and assaulted and sexually assaulted and um, right, yeah, it's not, it's terrible. It so, is terrible. Yeah. Um, what happened though is so she was harmed in this first book and then she was rescued, and Sasha, who is like a psi healer, was brought in to kind of like, as far as I understand, like. Do a little, like, brain, telekinetic brain surgery on her. Like, go in and, like, fuss around with her brain and, like, help to heal the the emotional and, like, the intense, like, brain scars that this sadist had, had, like, left on her. But in order to do it, she needed to have equally strong an like one or more uh, like equally strong side like 
mental telekinetic essentially is like healer. a battery to help her like, right yeah like yeah supercharging her skills and her power because each side is born with a special talent and we don't know when it starts what judd's talent is it's sort of like judd has a talent we don't talk about it Right. And a lot of the Psy are that way because it's like, like Sienna, his, you know, his niece essentially has some crazy talent. We don't find out what it is until her book. Way, way later. So, but in his case, like, so there's some talent and we're not sure what it is, but um, he was used as the, like Sasha used him as a battery and like uses him as a battery throughout this, um, this book. And I got to say, these are my favorite moments, right? Because, so anyway, used him as a battery to, like, fuss around in Brenna's brain. And Brenna doesn't know 100%, like, what went down. But, like, basically you get the feeling that, like, if Judd would let himself love or feel feelings, he would have started feeling feelings for her. I mean, he clearly did start feeling feelings for her. Like, back when he was messing around in her brain. I mean, that all seems very invasive, but what you know what I mean. Like, he was helping. Brenna He's said it was okay. Right. Yeah. Well, the thing that's really interesting, <laughs> too, is because of these, like, psi protocols, and, you know, I fucking love this shit. It's like, we there's this thing we say at school, right? Making thinking visible. The psi mm-hmm. is, like, making patriarchy visible. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. what is happening is because of the way that Judd essentially was, like, trained Anytime he feels like pleasure or attraction or anything, it literally causes him pain. But he still can't stay away from her. Oh, it's the best. He just puts him through the pace. It puts him through paces. He gets like ear bleeds. Nose bleeds and (laughs) shit. He's like, but I still want you. I listen. I'm not even sad about it. I'm for it. I want you to be like, I want you to hurt to love me. That's what I want. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, but here's what I will say. The best moments of this book are the moments where he uses – so these these characters, these Psy who, like, aren't allowed to feel feelings, right? Like, first Mm -hmm. of all, it's pretty fast in all of the books before they're, like, you know, getting zapped with, like, (laughs) oh, God, what was that? That made it – that felt like a thing. And, oh, God, I'm feeling a feeling. But – in his case, right, like, he is so generous. Like, there's such a sense with him from the jump that, like, he will give and give and give. He will give his energy. He'll give his power. Like, he'll do anything to help the people he cares for. Because even though he's not allowed to care for them, really, because when he does care, he feels pain. Like, he has these adorable, like, nieces who he hangs out with and, like, play, like, children yes. in the pack. I guess they don't call it a pack, but whatever. They kill whatever, children in right. his net, his Lor- the Lauren net. Yeah. Um, like where he gets, you know, where they he hangs out with them and he and he helps them. And then like Brenna gets into trouble, of course, because Brenna's just a magnet for trouble for this whole book. And like every time she gets into trouble, he like go, he helps her, he like moves her telekinetically. He does all this stuff until he drains, essentially drains his own battery. To the point where he cannot, like, he can't use any of his power anymore. He, like, literally becomes so exhausted. Yeah. It's called flaming out. And he has to, like, go to sleep for a day and then, like, wait for his power power to recharge. And it's hot. 
Because yeah. he's like, the first time it happens, it happens like he literally is saving her. And he's so concerned about her safety that he telekinetically moves her from like one location to another location. And it's such a like thing. Right. It, like physically, it's such a drain that he like has to take himself away to like right. a safe house because if anybody found out that he had lost he's all that powers, helpless. They kill right. him. Well, and this to me is really the part where I'm like, it's such a perfect metaphor for like toxic masculinity, yeah. right? Like, like this whole idea of like, like I don't. I mean, I think this is the thing that's fascinating about the sigh in general, and like from Nalini's brain, I'm like fascinated by it. Is I cannot ever be the person that I'm supposed to be because this training I received about how to be correct and right interfered with and that we see that in the first two books too right like you you know Sasha was told that her skills were like nothing and it turns out that they just were suppressing like the best part of her mm-hmm. and so you know this becomes a really explicit theme in the book is like you know you if you're suppressing people's real abilities you know Judd's like walking around like I'm a killer but all we do is see him saving people yeah and yet he cannot see like this because yeah. yeah. And like fundamentally, the reason why he believes he's a killer is because he can literally re like he can he can fuss with your tissues. Yes. And like he can like reach inside you mentally and like stop your heart. But he can also reach inside you mentally and start your heart. And like the idea that the world would have taught him that only one of those actions is belongs to him is like you said, like so toxic and perfectly like an example of like, you are either, you know, you are yin or you are yang, right? Like there is no, no in between, right? Everything's very, everything's very binary in this world. At least it seems this is the way people are raised. And then really What we're seeing is, like, certain people are like, no, that's not true. Like, there's a way I can break out of this, like, kind of cage that I've been raised in. And, you know, that's always, like, super appealing to me. But I think the thing that I would also say is, so, so, okay, that's the reason I like Judd, but I also really love Brenna, right? Like, this is a book where... You know, talk about a heroine backed into a corner, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the, like, things is here she was this, like, super strong, like, you know, there's no real, like, sexism in in her pack. Like, she can be a lieutenant or, you know, like, her skills are really valued. It doesn't matter that she's, like, a woman. And yet, because of this, like, literal trauma that she suffered, her brothers are super overprotective, and she doesn't even want to tell anybody that she cannot shift anymore. So one of the results of her, like, this torture is essentially she has lost the ability to shift. And so she's really struggling with, you know, who am I if I cannot do this thing that I was, like, really meant to do? There's this moment— and this is very common. It's like a shifter, like promise of the premise, right? Where like this idea that the the animal that you sh- like that it's like a limb, right? Like you losing it is like losing a like a massive piece of yourself. The same way, and so again, you have these two characters who are really limited in. They've both lost so much, um, so much of what they 
think is their own identity, think is their yes. value, like holds their value. When you are reading a romance where you're really like, how this is insurmountable. Yeah, right? I really did feel like, I think I texted you at like 90%. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know how this is going to end. So part of the thing is, okay, so changelings like crave touch. Yeah. This is a really big way that they communicate with each other. And there is like, like you could walk, Hawk is the, um, like the alpha of her pack. And there is a point where she like walks up to him and she's like, I need a hug. And he's like, yeah. Right. He's like, I'm going to hug you. Right. Or this like really cute little scene where like a little cub, like a little four-year-old is like running naked down the hallway and is like hiding behind Judd. And he's like, oh, like it's the first time anyone's ever played with him. So a big part of like the Psy world is, or sorry, the changeling world is like skin privileges, meaning people that you will allow to touch you. And this is so fundamental to who they are. And then you have Judd who, when she touches him, she's hurting him. He's getting fucking nosebleeds. Yep. And she's like, really has to struggle with like, do I want him to change and like give up silence, essentially undo his own programming in order to have this thing that I want? Maybe he doesn't even want it. I mean, it's really, really good. And then, uh, well, also because then there's this, once she realizes that he's like, not just in pain. So here's yeah. the deal. He's kind of the best possible scenario for her because she he is willing the the touch for him. So he's a, he's a special kind we should talk about like Judd is like scion steroids, right? Because so he has telekinetic powers like many psi. However, um his telekinetic powers being able to rearrange flesh and literally right, like TK self or others, right? Like he can literally um he can he can fuss with you on a cellular level and with himself on that level, right? So this is very rare, but when young children who are born with this particular kind of skill to, of of like talent um they don't know how to control it and so often they accidentally kill people when they are right. young they have a tantrum or they are angry and they can't stop themselves or control their talent to the point where they harm someone right. and that means that they are either like put through the protocol early or they end up like isolating themselves as hermits or in prison or they actually kill themselves on a cellular level so that they like never have to right risk harming other people so he was turned he was basically put through this like special protocol that turned him into like a weapon for mm-hmm. lack i mean like basically he has no feeling whatsoever ever however right. once brenna starts touching him and he's like McGreeve braining all over the place. Like he's just <laughs> zapping all over right. the place. His brain is malfunctioning and he's getting like brain bleeds, ear bleeds, nose bleeds. Like he's harming himself or this whole thing is harming him. But he is, he- because of his skill, he is able to heal himself simultaneously. So he's able to spend more time with her by virtue of. He can survive her, but he can't survive her entirely. And so, you know, it's this real dilemma where they're both, 
I don't know, like both really experiencing like trauma in a way from like their own pasts. And yet like they are so drawn to each other, right? Like they literally cannot stay away from each other. It's amazing. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say. That's where I was going with all that. I had forgotten. I lost my train of thought. (laughs) But the when she finds out like he's bleeding out his ears for her, she's like, oh, shit. Like we can't. We can't do this. We can't do this. And he's like, no, we're doing this. (laughs) And what's interesting, and this is where we really get into my kink, and I apologize. Like, I appreciate that it's truly, like, it's probably really wrong. But, like, I really love a hero who is willing to sacrifice literally anything, including himself, for the heroine. Right. And, like, he's basically like, I adore you. You need to touch me and therefore I'm going to let my brain bleed out. It's fine. Because that's what you need. It's worth it. And like, obviously I don't think like, I'm glad that it all worked out in the end. He wasn't bleeding all (laughs) over the place all the time, but like it really like, it's that moment where you're like, Oh no, he'll unravel himself for me. Right. He'll crawl over broken glass. He'll go into cold storage forever. He'll, yeah, it's the ultimate it gravel. It's the the ultimate yes. gravel is I have to repair my aneurysm every time we've been every together. time you touch me, but it's worth it. You know what else I thought would be you would love. I'm about allowed this? to say that because I've had an aneurysm. You are only exactly. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I'm not diminishing you know aneurysms. I had forgotten until I started reading is the whole part about her eyes had changed colors. Do you love that? You love that. I love it. You know, one time I shared a document. I had like a notes document about the podcast with Jen and um, I shared it with Jen, not knowing that at the very bottom of the notes document about the podcast, there is literally a list that I had been keeping when we were reading IAD of all the characters, the colors of their eyes and what they meant. So, and I, I was do. like, I love, I love a weird eye color. Yeah. So, I mean, Don't that part. Me. I'm a yeah, basic like, bitch. <laughs> you know, that's fine. But yeah, I completely <laughs> had forgotten that. I was like, oh, Sarah's eating this up with a spoon. I love it. And, you know, she, Nalini's characters always have really weird eye colors. It's like his oh, eyes yeah. went full blown black when they're in flame right. out. Or, like, or they crimson turn red or whatever. When he's right. like hot for her. And okay. Now, there's another subplot of the book, which I guess we should talk another. about. Which there is, are like 83 subplots. Okay, I'm ignoring all the subplots that don't have to do directly with Judd and Brenna, though. I'm sorry, you guys, but we just, it's too many. It's, yeah, it's I'm too like, many. And and honestly, like, we just, we, I, we just want We're basic. We want yeah, to make right. this. So, so. Again, I don't care about, you that's know, Psy, Council, infighting. Exactly. You enjoy that, everybody. Um, there is Are, are, you, are is, we going to talk about Ming Laban? <laughs> it's a, listen. <laughs> it's a I will name. tell you this. It's a great <laughs> name. She is, these names, name. Caleb Krychek, right? No, Terrific. Ming Laban. Ming Laban is a great name. I mean, I, I had a moment where I was like, now is this a nod to Simon Laban? Simon Laban, <laughs> Nalini's favorite Duran Duran member. My goodness, <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. My God. Anyway, um, okay. Oh, here. So here's there's we're a not secondary about subplot. Laban, that's yeah, a, we're not. That's when we're not. We're just skipping it. We're just skipping it. But um, there, uh, that's there after all the chang- changelings. They just want to kill them all. Yeah. Right. 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 Blah blah blah. One of the things I did really like, though, was, okay, so Brenna is in danger, and 
one of the things we talked about this at all. No. So basically, and this I think was interesting to me. Essentially, one of the things that happens at the beginning of the book is that um, a, a pack member is killed, Timothy. And Brenna shows up and everybody's there trying to figure out what's happening and who did it. And as the book goes on, it's clear that the killer is re- is really has Brenna in his sights. He really wants to kill Brenna. And well, we're because also seeing the killer's POV. Yes, we're seeing the killer's point of view. We don't know who it is, but we're seeing the killer's point of view and kind of like the fact that he is he really needs to get rid of her. There's something she knows that he cannot let get out. And the thing that was interesting to me about this is two things. It's like, okay, spoiler alert, at the end, it doesn't matter who it is because it's a nobody. Like, right? It's not typically in this setup. You get that the killer is somebody you've known and trusted all along. That is not what happens here. And I personally, it kind of worked for me because the real betrayal, essentially, it's was that, you know, when you're in the pack, you're not supposed to be able to betray the pack. And somehow this Dieter, right, somehow he did manage to betray the pack. And the Spoiler. reason it, yeah, it's fine. I spoiled it, everybody. No one this book is, listen, this book <laughs> is from 2007. I'm sorry, I spoiled it's this. It's true. 15-year-old book. Okay. The thing that is interesting to me about the way it's handled is, one, there's this setup, I think, that's, this struggle where when you're reading, you're kind of thinking there's like good guys and bad guys and it's Mm. changelings are the good guys and Psy are the bad guys. And I think that what happens is this plot for me is really important for the arc of the series, not necessarily Mm. the arc of this book to point out that regardless of where, like who, you know, which pack you're in or which group you're in or whatever, which race you're in, there are good and bad people everywhere, right? And so I felt like it was kind of like she had leaned almost too hard into the size or kind of evil and, you know, you have to leave in order to be a a, a good person. And, you know, it, it had the effect of making all the changelings seem like, you know, your best buds who are all awesome and amazing and wonderful. So I think it was important in the sense that it showed – changelings can be imperfect too. I think that was its intention. I think that's real. I also think um, the, I think that is, I think it's reasonable to think that that was the theme of the whole book on a number of levels, because there's also that moment there, there's the moment where Hawk basically like welcomes Judd into the changeling, like, Alpha Pat. team, yeah, or whatever, whatever. Right? <laughs> he's a lieutenant now. Yeah, like, and he and they have a conversation where he's like, "Listen, you live here, and everyone yeah. around is like, wow, he's super powerful. Like, like he's more yeah. powerful than basically anybody else here, except for Hawk, obviously, because right, Hawk. sure. And then he's like, so you can't just be a loner. You gotta yeah. be with us, or you gotta against go, us, right?" right. And so there's this moment, and and Judd is very used to being alone. Yeah, right. By virtue of his own, not just the protocol, but also like he is so terrified of what he will do, what he will do to people right. 
when he gets close to them. And Hawk is like, no, you're going to hang out. You're going to be with me. And he's like, he's like, okay, well, I guess I'll be like a low level, like, I love this you know, scene. private. Yeah. And Hawk is like, what the hell? I Don't can't just confuse just, like, everybody. I know. <laughs> and so it's really great because you sort of bring, he gets brought in. Again, it's this, it's heroine's journey, which like yeah. we've talked about so much. But that Gail Carriger book is great. And the truth is like, all romance novels are leading us down the path toward community. Yes. For particularly when we are talking about toxic masculinity. Like heroes have to shed toxic masculinity in order to find community. I was really, yeah, that was actually like one of my favorite parts of the book it's was really charming that conversation. You know, it's like especially because it happens like almost immediately after he sacrifices all of his energy and really puts himself into danger for Brenna's brother, who is like Brenna's brother, but also just like a dude. Like, yes, there's no reason for him to invest in such a way in in this this man, except for his love for Brenna. But then Nalini does this really clever thing, and this is a little bit going back to how he's he is such a healer. Like, he's so generous with his energy and time. And, like, he wants – he's just so destined to be a powerful member of a community, Judd, like, yes. from the jump. Yeah. That when there's this, like, other subplot where, like, people are going after, like, the deer group of changelings or whatever. And they are, like, harming children in this other community. And so – um the Psy, um, Sasha is going over to like do her Psy healing thing. And she's like, I need you to come with me. And what's interesting, the way Nalini puts that on page is really clever because it happens off page. Mm -hmm. We don't see it. And then Sasha kind of says like, I need you to come with me and do this healing with me. And Judd's like, yeah, let me get my shit. Like I'm in. Right. And then they go, but that happens off page. All of it happens off page. We only see it, like, reported back through Judd's, like, being tired or feeling like, right. you know, whatever. And I think it's so powerful because Nalini is establishing on the page that, like, again, these skills, this, like, particular set of skills that these dudes have um, are valuable to the whole world, not just the yes. heroine. Right. Yeah. I think that's really important. And I think that's the thing where we also get that there's a place for Brenna to do some healing because the people in the deer community and like some of the children essentially like witness things that she witnessed. And so it's also this like, and there's a way for you to help and support. Like this is the way like you make the world whole is you, it's not that these things didn't happen to you. It's that you are working through them. And that takes like bravery and courage. I mean, she's one of my favorite heroines because she is like, it would be so easy for her to withdraw from, I mean, and by the way, there are times she does freak out. Like it's not just magically healed. Like there's a part where she kind of decides maybe like, okay, if Judd can't be with me, I'm going to be with this other guy. And she really loses it. And he doesn't really even do anything. He attempts to kiss her and she just 
completely really freaks out. And then it's like her shame at, you know, essentially I was holding it together and now people are going to know that I ha- I'm, I'm not fixed. I think that it's really, I don't know, it just felt really respectful to me of the idea that it's not always like easy forward progress. Healing no, is recursive. She's, well, we're talking about two characters who are real survivors, right? Yeah. Like, and I thought the same. I was really, um, I really felt like Nalini had done, did a lot of work around surviving, like the the path of the survivor. Um, I will say that one of my favorite moments of the book is right after that moment where she's with Greg, right? Where she like yeah. kind of, you know, because wolves are like se- sexual be- beings. They've all like, you know, it's like a fine. And Greg is like, I don't know what happened. It just something right. happened, right? And he's confused. And I mean, two things. One, I really love it because Judd is there and he's like, I'm going to kill him. And like right, he mentally like squeezes his heart. And I'm like, oh, what's going to happen? <laughs> We're garbage. Then, like, I was the same I know. Way. I hate it. I'm super trash. But the um, but then on top of it, like the second piece of that, that what comes after that is Judd looking at her brother, like just standing there with her and mm-hmm. her, she says like the only person who has ever believed that I can do this on my own, that I don't need to be constantly protected and who listens to me when I say it is Judd. Like, yeah. This guy. And then there are a couple of moments, a couple of really powerful beats in this book where he says, I believe that Brenna can do this yes. like, without me. Yeah. Right. Like, at one point, like her, one of her brothers is like, "I'll tear you apart right. if you ever <laughs> hurt her," and he's like, "She's gonna do it first. What are you doing? Like, she's so strong. She's so powerful. She stands up for herself. She's so, like, she is to be honored and valued for her strength, right? And and even, but at the same time, great. it is great. And I loved it. And I loved." Like, Nalini is able to show that even her brothers, though, are doing this out of love. Like, they're not trying to be terrible. It's just, it's so, you really understand how deeply Nalini values family, right? I mean, I feel like because she has her brothers, he has his family, and now it's like, how are we going to make a family together? And it just is really, like, all of those pieces really... I don't know, like this book really worked for me at that level yeah. because I find that that part is all so satisfying. I really want to talk about sex, though. Yeah. Because. My favorite. <laughs> of course. Okay. So the whole time you're like, how are these two going to do it? He's going to literally like have his brain explode if they do it. So remember, Sarah talked about these flame outs. Uh, so, so smart. So smart. It's so smart. This is when you're like, oh, it's so smart. God, so, and the second it happened, I was like, motherfucker, she's going to do this. And that's so smart. Like, it's that's so, so smart. smart. <laughs> so there is a differential between his physical, essentially, kind of his physical body being ready to go again and his his psi abilities being able to ready to go again. And so he flames out a second time, but he wakes up and it's like he's got six hours before his psi stuff comes back online so they can totally have sex because it's not going to hurt him because his – yeah, oh, yeah. And it's – honestly, I'm going to tell you, he's a virgin essentially, right? He is – she's like, how are you kind of so good at this? He's like – 
I have been dreaming about this. I've been planning. You think I don't have a plan? Yeah, I've been doing it's, research. I've been doing research. God, I love it. It I was. I love a man with a plan. Yeah, it was super hot and it was And then great. at the end he's like, all right, let's do it again. And she's like, no, what? I know I'm sleepy. I want to, I need to rest. And he's like, you have one hour. You have one hour. <laughs> then we're doing it again because this is when I can do it. Yeah. And it's so brilliant. Well, it's like brilliant and sexy and hot. All of it. I love yeah. it. Well, you also like, you talked about this a little bit before, but I don't think we really like touched on it quite enough that like when they're just making out in her apartment or whatever, he has to like lift the couch and the chairs and hold all the furniture like up in the air telekinetically. To like siphon off to some of that power. To, like shed some power also he please recall he is fixing aneurysms in his brain as he goes like it's bananas listen i'm sorry but it is great and then she turns around and she's like what happened to all the furniture and he's like i had to destroy it with my mind while we were fooling around because she's was so like amazing. look at more it's fine don't worry furniture is <laughs> replaceable let's let's do it again yeah it's brilliant Keep at it and it was funny because i Texted Sarah when she was reading, and I was like, look, the promise of the premise of sleeping with a telekinetic, telekinetic, a powerful one, is that he is going to lift you around and spin you like a top in midair the next one sometime when you're having sex. And that's what happens in the epilogue, and I would like to say thank you. Thank you, Nalini. That is exactly what should happen. Yes. Exactly what should happen. It happens in the Hidden Legacy series. Mad Rogan knows his job. He telekinetically removes her underwear, too. Rips it right off her body. He's like, do you like these? I also like, there's a lot of enthusiastic consent in this book. Oh, yes. He's like, do you like these underwear? She's like, um, I, what? And he's like, yeah, you don't you don't like these. <laughs> you would have a different answer if you really cared about these. Whoosh. And they flew right off her body. He likes to check in, though. He's like, hey, how is this? I'm going to rip these panties right off your body with my mind. <laughs> Look. Look. What's wrong I'm with this? It. The answer is I'm nothing. It. it was amazing. It was amazing. I really like paranormal romance, and I will tell you why. It is because when shit like that happens, you're just like, yes, I believe yeah. it. Like, honest to God, every time a billionaire rips panties, I'm like, have you tried to rip, like, a pair of silk like silk the, is a very strong fabric. You've seen that that Talia Hibbert tweet where she actually this is you don't know okay, at one point. Listen, it was the funniest thing I've ever seen on Twitter. Talia Hibbert did this thing where she's like, you know, people keep having their panties ripped off. So I had my boyfriend like try and do it. <laughs> this was years ago, and oh my I God. was crying. Oh, I laughed hilarious. so hard. Yeah, All right. Well, hopefully do. we can still find that. But I'm my gonna point, try and but find so it. Talia got there first. But the point is, these billionaires are just doing it left and right. And the reality is, like, silk is, it's designed to be a firm fabric. Like, <laughs> that's the whole point of it. And do you know how powerful amazing, surging is? <laughs> right? Sorry. So, like, when a vampire rips it off with his teeth, I believe it. Yes. But when a werewolf dude. rips it off with his claws, I believe it. When Judd rips them off telekinetically. I believe it. But, like, this is why, this is the whole reason why I like paranormal. For this exact reason, for panty ripping. <laughs> yes, fine. You know what? Give the people But also what they for want. all the other, like, 
here's what I like. I like books where I'm like, I don't want to have to think about reality. Like, yeah, I don't right. want people to be real in these books. I don't want people to be real in my contemporaries, let's be honest. But like, that's part of why I really like, I yeah. really like paranormals because like, these people are not real. They do crazy shit. They survive crazy shit. They, oh my they, God. Yes. Like, fuck crazy ways. <laughs> and it's, fine <laughs> it's delightful it's perfect and it's amazing and it's wonderful yeah no i really i it was it was really fun for me to reread this especially because i will say i like i said i've now read up to like essentially 10 and then to like go back and see some of the the plot lines and although yeah. i promised we weren't going to talk about like bing Lebon and all the other Ming stuff Lebon. Ming Lebon. <laughs> Simon Lebon. Um Listen, I will Ming say Lebon, I would name a pet after Ming Lebon. Yeah, it's a, it's great, a great name. name. It is a cat. Like if like that if cat I, Malia should have been Ming Lebon. You're right. I'll see. <laughs> I'm going to talk to Mister Reed's romance. I'll be like, wait, what? <laughs> Just tell him it's for Simon Lebon. <laughs> it's for Simon Lebon. It's fine. He'll be like, uh, okay, uh, no, it is sure, Jen. <laughs> Sure, Jen. He'll be like, sure, done for. Um, oh, here's there's one other thing I did also really like about this book. Okay, in terms of the big overarching plot, one of the things that you really sort of feel, okay, so the first two books take place in the Leopard Pack, which I think is called Dark River. And this one is called wait. Shadow Dancer? No. <laughs> no, see, this is, this is where I, right at the start, I was like, oh, my God, I forgot about all these names. And I yeah. realized, like, oh, people are going to get to, like, it's like page three when this stuff is there. And you're like, we're oh, boy. really, we're people really People are going to oh, wonder. Okay. Snow That's Dancer. Snow Dancer. We're Snow Dancer. Not Shadow there. Dancer. What's Shadow Dancer? Why do I know that? It's a why song by the Bee Gees. Yeah. <laughs> is that why? I don't think that's why, but okay. I love the Bee Gees, so hey, I don't listen, know what you're, I don't know. I, sure. The Bee Gees are great. The Bee Gees are great. Okay. I love those Gib brothers. I oh, listen, listen to me. I'm so smart. I like a falsetto. Guys, I don't know why. Know that like Bee Prince, Gees stands the for Bee the Gees. Gib. I know. I know. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm asking, you know, there are other people here besides you. No, they're not. There is a Bee Gees <laughs> documentary that Mr. Reed's Romance watched, and yes, he said it was Eric absolutely really terrific. Yeah, so yes. it's on my it's on my list for real. Can't my confirm. real list. Okay. They also Eric also really liked this Beatles documentary everybody's talking about. Peter Jackson already got six hours of my life, and I feel like that's enough. Yeah, I watched like the clip on YouTube. I watched of, that like, Lord Paul of the Rings can, thing back in the day. <laughs> Paul writing "Get Back" in like thirty nine seconds and just like his guitar. That's all I needed to see. Okay, here's what I was going to say though. One of the things I did like of the overarching plot is so we sort of been told the way the Psy think of the changelings is that they're just like a big, like, they're like jocks, essentially. We're the smart ones. They're like the dumb physical ones, right? I mean, if this was a high school, well, this is what I really liked about this one. And I I had forgotten it was in this book. Smart ones. I feel like the the Psy are like the, I mean, I guess they're the smart ones, but they're like the AV club. If this was, like, yeah, if this was, like, an 80s movie, though, the sigh would be, like, the mean rich kids. Oh, interesting. Right? And the changelings. That's not where I thought you were going, but okay, cool. I got you. I'm with you. So here is what I was thinking, though. One of my favorite plots of this book is in order to get back at them for the, like, the sigh essentially slaughter all the deer shifters, 
They figure out which exact side took, carried it out, and they kill them. But then they're like, we got to get back at them. We're going to hit them where it hurts. And they destabilize, essentially, the financial markets for a day just to fuck with them. And I really loved that because I think the thing that I thought was really cool was you're seeing, like, Brenna and Judd are like, Brenna and Judd are like, we can see each other differently. We're more than, like, our, you know, kind of programming. But you also see the changelings are starting to work together. And they're like, you know, we can figure out how to get at them. They just think we're the jocks who are just going to fight. But we can fight them in other ways. We're their perception of us against them. Yes. Which is, again, like that sort of patriarchy, like dominant cultural shit happening. And I liked it. I liked it a lot. Subversive shit. It was hot. I'm for it. It was hot. It was hot. I liked it. I have to say, I, here's what I do want to say. I, I at no point in this book did I have any sense of what the world looked like in any way. Not because Nalini didn't tell me, but because I was like, I don't. I don't it could easily have been any other fantasy world for me. Hmm. Okay, fair. Did you? But like, I think it's supposed to feel like our human world because humans exist. Well, it, it's like Northern California, and I did used to live there. So I guess I actually was like, okay, they live in the Sierra Nevada. Like, you know, it's like they live in Tahoe. To me, yeah. it was like oh, they live in Tahoe. Okay. All right. You know, sure. that was kind of to me. Like Donner Lake, but nobody's eating each other. Yeah, it's interesting because for a person like me who is like kind of known for writing like set pieces, like really like mm-hmm. – here is a location and now we were we are in it and now you know what it looks like. I was like, I just, this whole book, I was like, it's set on a dirt road somewhere. <laughs> I don't, like well, at one point I was yeah. like, oh, it's like those Ice Planet Barbarian dens. And then at sure. one point I was like, oh, it's like the road in that Millivane book. And then I was like, I don't think it's like any of this. I'm just going to go. You're, yeah, I think this is probably what happens when you pick up at book three. Some of that business got taken care of maybe in previous books. And yeah, me. I don't remember. Right. I do. Here's what I will say. Slave to Sensation is great. I just haven't read it in many, many years. Yeah. Here, here's what I would say. And we've talked about this when we talked about J.R. Ward. We talked about this when we talked about um, IED. The gender essentialism in this book is pretty fixed. There's well, a lot of it, that, right? It's that yeah. shifter, alpha, yeah. male, yeah. mate stuff. Business, yeah. And I do think that, to me, one of the biggest differences between reading Paranormal from 15 years ago and Paranormal now is that I feel like Paranormal writers now, and a lot of it's in indie, are figuring out ways to get away from some of that, right? Like, it's yes. not quite as... It's not quite as intense, in that sense, but it's also like paranormal. Like we did this with Jenny Nornback when we talked about monsters, right? Like, yeah, monster romance, which is paranormal romance. It's not like it's not like this. It's softer yeah. in a lot of ways in twenty twenty one. Like Morning right. Glory Milking Farm is like the softest romance I've read in a very long time. And so I think there is like there's something happening in paranormal. I mean, of course there is, right? Like, Paranormal had that, like, massive rise, and then it kind of it, – then it, like, crashed. And that's not to say, don't don't write to me. Don't write me letters. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just saying, like, we can all agree that, like, gone It wasn't like it was in 2005. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, 
but it's interesting because in these early paranormals are so like alpha, like warrior, like Navy. They're all, it's like a team of Navy SEALs always. Like it's Navy SEALs on steroids. One of the things I actually found myself thinking is I wonder if the monster romance is like, it felt almost like there was no way to go back to werewolves and vampires or whatever without tapping into that like sort of gender essentialism and how binary everything is. And so maybe people are like, you know, we just got to let that lie fallow a little little while longer. Maybe by exploring these new monsters – you know, Katie Robert is doing a series about, or I think maybe has just finished a series about, like, you know, vampires who are, you know, gender, like, fluid, yeah. gender fluid, sexually fluid, like, poly. And so I think that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I think that they're, like, I don't know. I think it's, I, somebody else is saying smarter things about paranormal than we are. Because we don't talk about paranormal very much. But I think you're right that there's... Definitely a shift there. Um, I also think that um, this binary, again, it's that binary world, though. Like, everything in this book, in this world is binary. Everything. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I just think, you know, we're... Also, wait, one more thing about paranormal now. Also, we just, like, leaving aside the fact that, like, Cressa wrote a couple witches, like, it is right now, like... You can't throw a stone and not hit a yeah. witch. Like, yeah. and I think witches are really interesting because they're traditionally they're like the the ant they're the antithesis of all of the classic paranormal characters. Mm-hmm. Despite being old, you know, like everybody, you know, everybody's heard witch stories in their whole life, but you know, the fact that witches can be. Um, people of color they can be women they're largely women or like you know there's just so much more fluidity with a witch yeah it's interesting i will say here i have a couple observations one is i think they lend themselves better to Mm rom-coms because of the like the thread in pop culture of like bewitched and you know what i mean like a um there's like a really cute comic I read about, which is called Spell on Wheels, <laughs> right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, so I think that there's a lot more of that. Like, so rom-coms are so big, so it makes sense. Like, okay, we can go with something that has a, like, there's a blueprint, a mental model that people have for, like, witches being kind of light and frothy. Um, the thing that I'm really fascinated by is, and I, I think maybe it was an, an inadvertent thing and maybe it was a mistake and we'll see, is publish traditional publishing leaned really hard into witches and they leaned really hard into witches as like a fall treat. It was like Halloween. They were Halloween books. And I am really curious about which books that are now going to be slated to come out in April and in summer where I'm like, did you just create a, like, a you really sold it as, like, a holiday. <laughs> like, it's a fall thing. And now you're going to be, like, expecting people to be reading witch books all year long. And there's no reason, theoretically, why you shouldn't be. But I do think the fact that every single one of those witch books came out on, like, September 1st. And then yeah. no one talked about them anymore. I wonder if they inadvertently slotted them into people's brains as, like, this is just the season before the, the the Christmas books come out. That's an interesting question. I mean, interest. Uh, look, I mean, like the marketer in me is like, obviously, you put your witch books out in the fall, <laughs> right? Sure. But at the, but the 
I get what you're saying. At the same time, like, gosh, Rachel Hawkins is the ex-hex is still everywhere on TikTok. It's, I mean, like, it's clear. It's the little yeah, engine so that maybe. could. I mean, it's not a little engine. It's a great book. It's a really fun read. So the, um, yeah. so we'll like, see. just yeah. thinking right. about it, I don't know. I don't know what's going to come. But also, you know, there are worse things in the world than every October having a deluge <sighs> of witches. Yeah. Well, and there's, like I said, there's a bunch of them because, of course, people write trilogies that are coming out not, sure. you know, that are coming out in the spring. So it was just really interesting for me because I was like, I am really highly associating them with Halloween. And then I was like, oh, maybe, maybe other people aren't. So, you know, I, I'm really just speaking for me, but it was really interesting to me how marketing all seemed to, you know, follow that same path yeah. to, yeah. let's, you know, September 1st. Here's a bunch of witch books. Yep. Well, Sarah, we did the thing. We did the thing. I'm and not going to tell you what's break next. Any furniture? No furniture was broken during the making of this episode. No one was levitated. <laughs> Nobody had an aneurysm. Nobody had a nosebleed or an ear bleed. It's true. I mean, we we just did it. What when we do things, we do them safely. Okay, so you are listening to Faded Mates. You can find us online at fadedmates.net. You can find us on Twitter at Faded Mates, on Instagram at Faded Mates Pod. Um, every week in your ear holes on Wednesdays at midnight Eastern. And uh, what else? It's the holidays. Please remember, everyone, that mass market paperback books fit really beautifully in a stocking if you're stuffing a stocking this year um and they're under ten dollars which is a really nice little bargain um also remember that your local independent bookseller probably sells some romance and definitely is hoping that you'll come in before the holidays to purchase your books and give books uh early and often Yes, that's all we have to say. And remember that there's a supply chain issue. So, like, if they don't have, for example, the mass market paperback of Nine Rules to Break When Romancing a Rake by Sarah McLean, don't be mean. Just get a different Sarah McLean novel. <laughs> or, or say someone else's novel instead. Whatever um, you need to do. Supply chain is real. Books, Bookstores are doing their best. Authors are doing their best. Um, but books remain a great gift. And um, also very easy to procure in the two weeks before a major holiday. Agree. All right. Have a great week, everybody. Bye.